You are listening to Shining Star Community Church, English Ministries Sunday Message. Please visit us at www.shiningstar.life. Now, you've heard the saying, put your best foot forward, right? You've heard that saying before. Some people have said, put your best face first. Um, put on your best face, I guess. The saying essentially means this. Y'all smiling. What's going on? <laughs> I have people like grinning like, you don't know what I, you don't see what I'm saying. Okay. All right. So the, essentially, the saying essentially means this, to attempt to make as good of an impression as possible. And we all do that because we all want to make a good impression. We all want to uh, make a good living. We want to make a good name for ourselves. We not only want to survive, but we want to thrive as well, whatever our agenda might be. And we put our best face every morning, don't we? Because we have this idea what we want to accomplish and what we want to you know, pursue during our day. We have an agenda I want you guys to know this. God, he has an agenda too. It's a different agenda. He has plans for us, which, by the way, he made before the world was, even ever, ma was ever made. And while we might get distracted with our goals, God, he's, he relentlessly pursues after his agenda. And, and he has plans, and he relentlessly pursues after them to completion. And so that's what we're going to see in our text today, okay? This idea that we have our own ideas, our own plans, our own kind of idea of what we expect and what we think would happen throughout the day and throughout our lives. But God clearly has different plans too. And so here in this story, we have this man whose agenda gets really upset, okay? Kind of turned around and is filled with trouble, it's filled with confusion. While at the same time, we see the Lord's agenda is still perfectly intact and is being served from beginning to end, okay? Now, I'll explain what all this means as we go on. My first point is this. God sees behind our smiling faces. Now, turn to your neighbor, smile, and say, God sees past that. Do you remember the story in 1 Samuel where God rejects King Saul, and so he sends Samuel to go uh, anoint a new king? And so God sends Samuel, and he goes to Jesse's house, not Jesse's house, but Jesse's house, to find the right man. And when he gets there, Jesse joyfully calls his seven sons in. Now when Samuel sees a son named Eliab, he's impressed. He's like, this guy's stud status. Surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. I mean, why not? Eliab was handsome. He was tall. He was just kingly looking. Really regal, right? He was wonderful. And even the great prophet Samuel was like, this has got to be the guy. I mean, he looks the part. This is amazing. But God said, no, not this guy. In fact, God said no to every single one of Jesse's seven sons. And Sammy had to say, are you sure you don't have any more sons? Because I'm not hearing it incorrectly from the Lord. You sure? And Jesse said, oh yeah, <laughs> David, but he tends the sheep. Like, how messed up is that? <laughs> right? He's like, here are my seven sons. And David. 
And so he calls him out. And you guys know the story. David's called in, and he's the one. But why? Why does God reject that amazing man, Eliab, and the seven sons and, and embrace this small guy, this choosing of David? Well, we find out really in 1 Samuel 16, verse 7, it says this. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or in the height of his stature because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. And that's what our text today teaches us. You see, God, he sees behind our smiling faces. You know, there was a saying that Jesus used here in this passage. He said, a prophet had no honor in his own hometown. Now, I want you guys all to follow me here, okay? In the Gospel of Luke, Luke says, uses that saying as an explanation of why Jesus was rejected in his hometown of Nazareth, right? Because, get this, this, this happened when Jesus went inside the temple, and there he said, hey, I am that Messiah. I'm the fulfillment of the prophecy of Isaiah and what he's been prophesizing about. I am he. And so people got all mad and at that moment were saying, I want to kill you. Get out of here. They rejected him. So here in verse 44 in the Gospel of John, John used that same saying at a time when Jesus wasn't being threatened, wasn't being, you know, uh, kicked out or rejected. But John was saying this at a time when Jesus was being welcomed. That a prophet has no honor in his hometown. What's going on here? Does that mean that there's contradiction here in Scripture? Uh-uh. Now, what's happening here is this. John, he's simply preparing us for what's about to happen. He's about to show us, and get this, this is important. He's about to show us that rejection isn't always openly hostile. You guys hear me? Rejection isn't always openly, oh, get out of here, I hate you, you scumbag. Oh, rejection here, he tells us, sometimes hides behind a smiling face. You guys feel me? Now let's think about how these people saw Jesus as he returned to Galilee, okay? Remember, Jesus was just here before in Galilee, in Cana. He was at a wedding party. He turned water into fine wine. Don't you think something like that would have spread? Right? Oh, yeah, people were talking about it. Then in verse 45, it says that some people had seen what Jesus had done in Jerusalem. Now, we know Jesus did some miraculous signs and awesome stuff there, too. But one thing that has been recorded in this gospel was the cleansing of the temple. In other words, the driving out of the animals, the driving out of the money changers. You all remember that story, right? So now here Jesus comes back to Galilee, to Cana. Of course, they welcomed him. I mean, why wouldn't, he, why wouldn't they? He was the local guy, the town hero, the one who really made them stand up and take notice down in the capital. He was the wonder worker, the guy who made the best free wine at the party. Come on, everyone loves that guy. Not to mention Jesus, he wasn't afraid of the authorities. He cleaned house right under their noses. Who doesn't like the hero who stands up and does good for the little guy and stands up against the establishment? Go, Jesus! That's how they welcomed him. With open arms. But behind those smiling faces, their hearts were far from believing in him. Behind those smiling faces, yay, Jesus, you're here. Wow, you're doing awesome stuff. Were hearts that were so far from obeying him. 
These are hearts that did not believe he was the Messiah. You see, the Bible is telling us today, God, he sees past our smiling faces. This explains why Jesus sounds so stern when the royal official comes begging for help. Look, in this exchange, when the royal official comes and says, Jesus, my son is sick, he's almost died, can you please help? And Jesus says what he said. It wasn't because he lacked compassion. Jesus understood the request in the context of the attitude around him, okay? In verse 48, Jesus, he doesn't, he doesn't address the desperate official. Instead, he actually addresses the whole crowd that had gathered. So think about this for a moment. There Jesus is. He comes in. He's walking in. People are wa- walking around. They're like, oh, is that Jesus? Is that Jesus? Then this royal official comes running at him and says, Jesus, Jesus, my son is sick. Come help me. All of a sudden, some guy goes, Oi, guys, get over here. That Jesus who did those miracles, he's going to do it again. It's going to be insane. Come. Get ready for some entertainment. This is going to be sweet. Even the attitude of the royal official was disrespectful. Granted, yes, the royal official was desperate, and he was just, he wanted his son to be healed, but you know what? He insists Jesus, who, by the way, had just arrived to drop everything he's doing, to leave everything behind, and to go with him, I don't know, just a casual 20 miles to Capernaum to heal his son. That's a bit of a walk, I'd say. You know, our college director, Jesse, he took some college students out yesterday to, the, to Great Falls. They went on the Billy Goat Trail, Right? I don't know what, the, what response I was expecting from that. But they went on the Billy Goat Trail, and it was like four miles, I think, or whatever. That's all I've done. And, um, you know, for me, just walking those four miles, it's not, it's not hard, but it's not a cakewalk either. And for me, after doing that, like, I'm done walking, not just for the day, but for the week, right? And yet here we have someone say, hey, Jesus, my son is sick. You do crazy stuff like healing, don't you? You, do, you pull rabbits out of hats, don't you? Why don't you come here, walk back with me. It's only 20 miles and heal my son. You see, behind all that attention and all that popularity and all those smiling faces, Jesus saw a people who would not believe him unless, he, unless they saw something miraculous. Unless they saw something supernatural, unless they got their fix of of signs and wonders. Why? Because ultimately these people, they they didn't want a savior. They didn't want a king. They didn't want a messiah. They wanted to be entertained. They wanted to be dazzled and impressed. Their approval of Jesus depended on whether he would give them what they wanted. And guess what? Jesus wasn't having it. Folks, let's be real here. Don't we also want God's blessings too? Yes. Stop lying. We all do, right? Of course. But we want it on our own terms. We all have our own expectations and plans of what's best for us. And so we live it out with the idea that, you know, God, I am determined. This is how my life should be. This is how it ought to be. This is what I'm going to pursue. And this is it. And God, you get to play a part in our lives now. You get to play part. And by the way, we all do this. I mean, think about the pride in that statement here. God, I want to live my life the way I believe is best, and I'll let you in so you can do certain things at certain times in certain ways. 
We want God's blessings, but we also want to remain in the driver's seat. That's what's going on here in Galilee. Yeah, the people were friendly. Yes, they were welcoming, but Jesus was not impressed by them. But it was the same situation he faced in Jerusalem back in John chapter 2, where it said that many people believed. They saw the miracles. Jesus, we believe in your name. But guess what the next verse said? That he would not entrust himself to them. Jesus is like, I know. But can I tell you how compassionate Jesus is? He's pretty awesome. He's pretty compassionate. Given the fact that Jesus knew what they were all like back in Galilee, look, Jesus knew how fake these people were. He knew it. He knew how superficial they were. He knew how they treated him in Nazareth. Given the fact that he knew all that, isn't it amazing that Jesus would even come back to them? Isn't it amazing that after his rebuke, the royal officials like, please help me. Please drop everything. Come along with me. And given the fact that everyone's just so fake saying, hey, Jesus, show me some more stuff. Show me some more miracles. Isn't it amazing how compassionate our Savior is that given all that information and given all the knowledge of their duplicity that he still ended up healing the little boy anyway? Look, I think we all have problems with fake people because we've all been burnt by them. The saying goes, hurt or hurt me once, shame on you. Hurt me twice, shame on me. In other words, we ought to know better to trust them again. But Jesus, he comes back again. And guess what? Not only does he come back again, he heals again. He heals anyways. Why? What drove Jesus back to this superficial, fake, fickle group of people? What made him respond to them even though their motives were so shamefully poor? The reason is the same reason why he came here into this world in the first place. Because you see, you and I, we love doing these little smiles before him. But he knows that behind these smiles, he sees the fakeness. But guess what? He loves you anyways. Talk about compassion. We worship a Savior who is full of compa compassion. Amen. This is a wake-up call for all of us here. Yes, I believe that there are many people here who genuinely seek after him. But it's also, guess what? We all possess a sin nature that loves to play games with him too. To assume that his blessing is at our disposal while we actively disobey him. There have been many times where we have smiled at his face. When we in fact have no intention of ever obeying him or ever listening to him. And despite our fakeness, what? He still loves you anyways. I don't deserve that. Neither do you, but he loves you anyways. He shows us mercy anyways. You know, we think we can trick God with our good intentions and good works, but God, he cannot be fooled because God is no fool. He sees our hearts. He knows what's real and, when it's, and what's not. He knows that while answered prayers can certainly help us, they are not what we need to carry on with our lives. Okay? He says, we need faith. You guys hear me? Answered prayers are great. Hallelujah when they happen. But they are not what you need to carry on with your life. 
What we need is faith. Faith even when prayers go unanswered. Faith even when we don't get things that we would like. He is calling us to faith today that goes beyond the ooing and the awing of over miracles, but a faith that believes and trusts in Jesus on his terms. His terms. But what kind of faith does that look like? That's my second point. If you are walking with the Lord, expect Jesus to refine your faith. Okay? Expect Jesus to refine your faith. You know, I can't think of one area of life where we become like instant successes. Yeah, you may think you win the lottery or maybe you might like, you know, uh, be, inherit a company, have an overnight success in that sense. But, but just because you're on top doesn't mean that you're successful because the process of success is actually a slow and painful progress of maturity and expertise. Everyone, to get to that point, starts from the beginning. It's no different. With us, our faith in Jesus is just like that too. You know that? In one sense, it's simple, right? You either believe in Jesus or you don't. This is the difference between being a Christian and being a non-Christian. But in another sense, faith is far more complex than that. God is not just looking for some amazing secret formula for us to recite and say, oh, wow, you guys are proven believers. No, God, he's in the business of growing disciples, i.e. men and women, children of faith who grow into mature seasoned faith. That's what he wants. That's what he's doing with this royal official, and that's what you can expect him to do with you today. Expect Jesus to refine your faith because you are his, and he's not going to leave you alone. He's not going to leave you alone. For me, I have two beautiful children, and I am going to push them and enable them to grow, and I want to equip them so they get trained and so they can mature. You know, for me, I also have a dog. I'm actually okay with him just knowing sit and stay. Really, because that's pretty much all I do. I'm like, sit, stay. And he runs around. I'm like, sit, stay. Good boy. Like, that's it. But with my children, I'm like, sit, stay. There's got to be more. I, you're not the same. I want to train you. Look, if you are God's, he doesn't want you to just know how to sit and stay. He wants to grow you. Amen? He wants to disciple you. He, and so here... Um, from this passage, there are three stages of developing faith here that I want to mention. First is this. There is a signs and wonders faith, okay? Now, we already talked about the less than stellar motivations of the people here, including the royal official. They didn't believe in Jesus as God. They didn't believe in Jesus really as a prophet either or as the son of God. They just believed that he was some dude who could do some pretty cool miracles. But you see, even that is beginning faith. You know that? So don't be too harsh on that person who's like, what, you can't quote all 66 books of the Bible? There's a beginning faith. His son, let's, let's talk about this guy for a second. He was a very important person. He was one of the king's men, and his son was deathly ill. Now imagine the faith that it took for him to leave his sick son at home and go look up some carpenter. Honey, I'm going, carpenter. What'd you say? Yeah, there's some guy. What does he do? Is he, is he like the best doctor in Jerusalem and Galilee? Uh, he's really good with wood. He's a carpenter. What is he going to do, build a home for our son? Like, 
What are you doing here? Think about the type of faith that required him to leave his son who was dying to go and look for some guy he heard about whose job was actually a carpenter, carpenter who could perform maybe a couple tricks. To go and find him and then to ask him, hey, can you come all the way back home with me and help my son and heal him? Yeah, Jesus probably wanted a more profound discipleship. At least this guy, he believed that Jesus could do supernatural things. And so this man believed that maybe, just maybe, this guy who was a carpenter who could do a couple tricks, maybe he could help his son. Now, folks, isn't that where we often begin as well in our lives? We'll say, Lord, if you answer this prayer or if you give me this thing that I really need, then I'll follow you. Now, I'll tell you, before I was a pastor, early on in my spiritual journey, my faith, that was totally me. All cards on table, really. Like super shallow faith here. I can't tell you how many times I struck bargains with God, especially before tests. Right? I tried to do the whole thing like, God, I'm too lazy to study, but make, can you bring all the answers on the chalkboard as I open my eyes? I'm like, God, please get me into TJ, and I will be the best follower of Christ. I say, Lord, get me to Harvard, and God was like, dude, even I can't make that happen. <laughs> Joking aside, we've all done that, and some of us still do that, and the amazing thing is how many times... God, in his grace and in his compassion and his mercy, grants those requests. Right? It's so, it's this mind-boggling. God, don't, don't entertain us. Don't humor us with this. But he does. Even if, our, even if our requests are demanding and self-centered and they don't show much real faith, and yet God, in his grace, says, here you go. That's what Jesus did for the official. Jesus rebuked his shallowness, but he also granted his request and healed his son. Maybe that's where you're at today. If that's been your experience with the Lord, the idea of kind of crying out to him only in times of trouble, crying out to him only when in times of trouble, but then you know what? Come the other times when there's, there's hardly anything bad going on in your life, there's, but there's no communication with him or there's hardly any type of obedience I mean, is that where you're at right now? I'm not judging because that's where I was too. I want you guys to know this. Now is the time to give thanks to him for his compassion. Man, you, you know all the times that God has blessed you. All the times that God has granted your request. Give him praise. Give him thanks for his compassion. He doesn't need to honor our shallow faith. But even in our shallow faith, God has great compassion on us. And he desires to deepen our faith. Maybe that needs to be your prayer today, folks. God, I've been really shallow. God, I've been really immature in my faith, and I want you to deepen my faith in you. I want you to deepen my walk with you today. I want to trust in you, even if I don't get what I pray for, even if I don't get what I long for. I want the type of faith, the type of faith I trust in you because you are God, period. I want that kind of faith. Amen? The second level of faith is a bit more profound. This faith focused on taking Jesus at his word. Now, in one of the commentaries, they call this the dilemma of faith. Okay, and let me explain for a second here. Imagine you're the royal official. You make the request, Jesus, can you please come in to my house and heal my son? Jesus, he questions your motives. 
But then Jesus says to you, like we read in Scripture, go, your son will live. Now, what are you going to do here? Because sure, that's what Jesus said, go, your son will live, but he didn't do anything. You know what I'm talking about? Jesus didn't do anything. Like, he didn't, he didn't start, like, drawing a fish in the sand, right? He didn't start, like, spitting into the, into the dirt and making mud. Like, you know, there was, like, no action involved. He didn't make any kind of grand gesture, like a zippity-boo-bop type of thing here. Jesus just told the official, hmm, go, and your son will live. Now, here's the dilemma. If you're that official and you ask again, that kind of shows that you really didn't believe in the first place, right? But at the same time, when Jesus refused to come with him, just like you asked, and he really didn't do anything, like how can you, after leaving your sick boy and leaving your family and leaving everyone whose expectations were really super high, how can you just turn around and come back home, those 20 miles back home, with nothing to show for? What do you do? What do you do? You see, when Jesus refines our faith, he puts us in those type of situations. You know that? Because we cry out to God about our weakness. We say, Lord, I'm so tempted, or I can't quit this, or I don't know how to do this, or Lord, I'm so afraid. And his word says this, don't be afraid. And he says, I will be strong for you. And he goes, I will give the strength that you need. And he says, listen to what I say. Just do what I say. But then we say, yes, yes, I hear you, Lord. I read what the scripture says. But wait, Lord, I don't feel anything. You guys hearing what I'm saying? I don't feel anything. I still feel just as weak. I feel just as desperate as before. I feel like nothing has really changed. I need some grand gesture, Lord. You see, we too are faced with that dilemma of faith. It's that unless we begin to do what he said, then we don't really believe. But how can we step out to do what he said when we still feel just as weak as ever? Just imagine being in this position of the official. There's no prescription that Jesus offers. There's no waving of his hands like some magician. There was no profound statement to reassure this guy as he treks back 20 miles all the way to his child. All this official had were the, were the words of Jesus. Look at verse 50. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. Period. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. That is so difficult. It is so difficult, folks. But that's what God is calling all of us to do right now. Look, feelings and emotions, they're fine. They're God-given attributes, and they're useful, and they're wonderful. But the Lord has called us to live by the word of God. The word of God. We're called to live by his promises, not by our feelings or our sense of satisfaction that God has done, but by the word of God. God has before us his promises. You know that? And we are to hear these promises. We are then to apply these promises. And the guarantee is what? The very words of God himself. Maybe right now in your life, there was a time when you had a lot of experiences. There was a lot of kind of emotional connection to the worship and to, to the word and all that stuff. And there were maybe even supernatural occurrences. And by the way, it's not to say that this stuff won't happen. Uh-uh. But maybe right now, there, 
all there is in your life are the promises that you read in the Bible. So maybe there's not a whole lot of emotion involved. Maybe you don't feel much anymore. Maybe things just don't happen the way that you want it to or the way that it's been before. It doesn't mean that you're numb to the Spirit. It means this. It means that Jesus wants to refine your faith by giving you the opportunity, as hard as this season may be, the opportunity to just trust in his word. You guys feel me? Right? I've had a lot of people say that. Pastor David, yes, I've read the Bible, but I don't feel anything. You know what? Maybe right now God is saying, hey, scrap the feeling, trust in my word. Scrap the emotions. They're good things. They're not bad things. But he's saying, you know what? When you're feeling weak and I'm saying I will give you strength, trust in me that I will give you strength. You know, I have had friends who were on spiritual highs, and after a few years, they completely leave the faith, living faithless lives. And what their excuses are are always the same. They say this, David, I, st- I don't feel God anymore. David, I don't experience God anymore. Look, our relationship with God is founded upon the promises of his word, and not because one day many years ago, we felt super spiritually high during a service. God, he is taking you deeper into your faith today. You know that? He's bringing challenges into your life today. And did you know that his word can take you deeper than any emotional experience could ever take you? Do you guys believe that? Do you know that his word can prove to you of his power more than any miracle you could ever witness? Did you know that his word can reveal to you the depth and the mightiness of his love more than any supernatural sign could ever give you? He is expecting more, not less. He's expecting greater trust in his word, not less. He's asking us to step boldly forward during these trying times, not backwards. God is asking us to start living deeper faith no matter how impossible it may seem, but because God said so. Trust in his word and you will see him lead you into a deeper life of joy and satisfaction in him that you've never experienced before. Amen? My third and final point is this. The third kind of faith God developed in this man was the mature trust that he had in Jesus. Look at verse 51, 53. And he was going down. His servants met him, told him that his son was recovering. And so he asked them the hour when he began to get better. And they said to him, yesterday... At the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that was the hour Jesus had said to him, your son will live, and he himself believed, and all his household. So here we have a hindsight 2020 type of faith. As the man looks back on the whole experience, he sees how all the pieces fit. The promise of Jesus, the fever leaving, the exact time coinciding. Now it all made sense when before it didn't make sense at all. Go, and your son will live really? But now he sees it. Interestingly, in verse 53, it said, and he himself believed in all his household. But that's kind of weird. Didn't he believe earlier? Didn't he believe when he came to Jesus asking in the first place, when he asked Jesus, right? Didn't he believe when he took Jesus at his word and went home? What does it mean that he now believed? It means that he now believes Jesus the way that Jesus wants us to believe. You see, it was one thing to believe that a miracle-working carpenter could help. 
It was something to believe that maybe there was nothing else to do, and so the dilemma except to, uh, of the dilemma except to say, you know, God, if you help me, great. If you don't, then whatever, that's just your will, and I just have to accept that. No, this man, he now believes like God wanted him to believe. He believed that Jesus is who he says he is, and he puts his trust in him with confidence. This kind of faith is the reason why John even wrote the gospel here. At the end of the gospel, he writes this. Listen to me. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in his book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Today, my dear friends, the Lord is calling us to that kind of faith. Not just trusting God to meet your needs or resigning yourself to God's will when there's nothing else to do, but to believe and believe and to cling on to the fact that Jesus is God's Son who came to save a sinner like me and who rose to give us eternal life. You see, God has been working in your life all this time, whether you knew it or not, because this was the goal this was his plan which he worked for all these years inside you to refine your faith so that to trust you uh, so that you would trust in him for the cleansing of sin and so for eternal life as well. You see, the refining of our faith is this. The refining of our faith isn't about growing our faith so that we can get greater blessings. You know that? The refining of our faith is about growing our faith so that we love Jesus more. Do you know that? That's when you know a person's faith is refined. That's when you know when someone's faith has matured. That's when you know your spouse or your child or your sibling or your mom or dad or friend that they are growing in spiritual maturity when all they can talk about is Jesus. To grow in our faith means to know God more and to enjoy him more. While it would be nice to get answers and get help and have prayers answered, our faith is more than about being rescued from our circumstances or receiving answers to our conf confusion. Refined faith is about centering it on Christ Jesus, who is above all things. That's what faith is. Centering on Christ, who is above all things, and who will lead us through all things, and who will draw us closer to him day by day. When that happens, you know you're growing. When that happens, you will know the peace of Christ. Amen? All right. Let's take this time and pray. At this time, as we pray, let's reflect on what we've heard today. Do not be saddened by where you're at, perhaps. Clearly, we see from Scripture that God meets us where we're at, where we are. And maybe right now you're still in that place of, God, I need you to prove yourself to me. And I need to see these things to prove and have evidence of your love for me. And wherever you are, this is the time to say, Lord, I'm struggling. And the only remedy is not for the answered prayers or for a resolution to these conflicts or for my circumstances to change. The only answer is for me to know you more. Jesus, can you please become so bigger in my life? 
can you increase in my life in such a way that all I see is you? Let's take a moment to simply pray and reflect and meditate on what we've just heard today. And we'll go into our Lord's Supper.